We're excited to start a second series of this podcast in Faith and Doubt. I'm here with AJ Swoboda. I'm Nijay. And um, we wanted to start this uh, series off by talking about a Christianity Today article we co-authored that was about Jesus and doubt. Um, we uh, we wanted to write something for Holy Week, uh, so this is um, this is April 2021, and it's talking. The article is talking about how um, the Jesus that we honor and worship is known in Christian theology as God Man, not God Superman. And the idea behind the article is Jesus as the incarnate human son of God, um, the gospels teach us about this really vibrant, real life on earth with us and for us that has moments of amazing divine glorification, like the transfiguration, incredible moments of miracles and healing, feeding 5,000 people, revivifying people, bringing Lazarus back. And yet we see this other side of Jesus too, that is somber. He sweats drops of blood. He gets angry. He weeps. He cries. Um, We get these little moments of Jesus as a child, um, submitting to his parents and, and, and growing in faith and knowledge and, and in wisdom. And the Gospels present us with this um, sometimes uncomfortable package of the God-man Jesus. Uh, we 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 put this uh, Christianity article out there. Um, you know, AJ and I co-wrote it. Uh, we have this interesting process where one of us will write a portion of it, and then the next you know the next person will add a bit and back and forth. And it was really natural. We we were very like minded. Um, some of you may know that once we put the article out there, uh, there were a mixture of reactions. Some reactions were, um, warm hearted and favorable saying, um, we, we, we appreciate the candor and, and the, the honesty and, and grit and realness of, of a, of a human Jesus that's just like us. And there was another side of the reactions that was, um, very troubled by what we said. This idea that Jesus had doubts. One of the taglines in our article is uh, Jesus himself had moments of doubt. And uh, that's not a bad thing because he, through his doubts, teaches us how to doubt faithfully. How to trust God and obey God, even in the face of suffering and doubt and um, knowing that that uh, things in the future may be very difficult. Um, and one of the one of the pushbacks against the article and, and and AJ and I welcome feedback, we welcome discussion, welcome pushback. Uh, one of the pushbacks against this is that saying that Jesus had doubts makes Jesus into a sinner. And we really uh, tried hard in the article to to not say that to say that that um, doubt is a doubt is a part of being human, and Jesus joined us in that, and and makes a way for us to the other side uh, of being uh, faithful to God and trusting God and and knowing God. 
So, um, AJ, you know, we were just talking this morning. Both of us were kind of blindsided, I think, by the negative reaction. I think an overwhelming negative reaction to the article. Neither of us actually thought it was that controversial, um, even though we both study the Bible uh, for for our professions. Um, what, what? Tell me how you're processing some of the reactions to what we said. Yeah, you know, it's it's a. I thought it was a very. Um, I thought it was a pretty clear, concise article that attempted to help us understand that we can identify with Christ in our own struggles of faith, that there are parts of Jesus's humanity that invite us in to walk with Jesus through our own struggles. It was, you know, on an emotional side, it's always challenging when you find yourself um, uh, being sort of... um, yeah, put in a corner. If it feel it's it's painful, it's hard, it's difficult to hear brothers and sisters struggle with something that you're holding near and dear to. But at the same time, uh, we have two thousand years of the humanity of Jesus uh, being a very controversial conversation. This mm-hmm. has been a hard conversation all the way back to the early church, and I, I ultimately am convinced that um, the the sort of you know in in a lot of ways ha- half of the church. Um, Half of the church loves the divinity of Jesus and half the church loves the humanity of Jesus. So yeah. you've got conservatives that love the divinity and you love progressives that love the humanity. Um, but we, we're called to hold both. We're not called to pick one side of Jesus. In fact, we have a whole litany of early church heresies that um, were, in essence, attempts at only picking one side. Uh, I have often believed in, in church history that our greatest truths are the greatest mysteries that are the hardest to hold. And often the heresies in the early church were heresies. One of the signs that it was a heresy was that it made sense. Hmm. The heresies always sought to make way more clear the mysteries of God. Well, it was interesting, Nijay, and you you got this on Twitter, a question about, well, did Jesus really learn to walk? We talked about the humanity of Jesus. Did Jesus really learn to walk as a baby? And... Uh, that caused some consternation for people because it seems to imply that there was a moment where Jesus did not know how to walk. Well, to be a human being, right? to be a true human being is to have a season where you don't know how to walk. And for some, that denies the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus somehow knew all things at all times. Well, all of a sudden, we are getting into historic questions about the nature of Christ, and they should be perplexing. They yeah. should be hard for us. Um, this question of doubt, though, man, alive. If Jesus on the cross actually meant what he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he actually meant that, or was that a smokescreen? Right. I think you and I take the New Testament seriously enough to believe Jesus actually meant that. And that at that moment, he was feeling the emotional God forsakenness of the cross. And that at that moment, he is wondering where God, his father, actually is. That's a troubling thought. It's scary to think about the fact that God, at a moment in history, was as a human truly experiencing, wondering who he was, where he was going, what was happening. And I think that leads into a whole conversation about whether doubt is a sin or not. You know, Jesus was tempted. He never sinned. 
Hence, temptation is not a sin. Right, right. Just because Jesus was tempted does not mean he was doing anything wrong. Um, and for us, how relieving that is to know that when we face temptations in our own life, we shouldn't beat ourselves up over those temptations. Um, so is doubt a sin? You're a New Testament scholar. Talk, talk to me about what the New Testament says. Is doubt a sin? Well, let's get to a bigger question here, which is, I think the big question behind this is, did Jesus have a human mind? Hmm. Because human minds have doubts. Right. And I think when we deny Jesus a human mind, we want him to be partially human, hmm. not fully human. Now, Jesus knew some amazing things about the future. Yes. Jesus yeah, right. knew. He says to Peter, tomorrow you're going to turn your back yeah. on me three times. He knows he know, some stuff. He knows some stuff. <laughs> but how could a Jesus that, that knows everything and knows it's all going to be fine, and knows that he's going to raise from the dead, which I do think he knew that he was going to raise from the dead. How could he say, if it be your will, let this cup pass me by? Yes. Um, if we didn't have the garden scene in the Gospels, um, maybe I wouldn't be convinced that Jesus really doubted. I might have thought it was pretending, hmm. you know, but the but that scene is one of the hardest moments in Jesus's life. And even saying that is an admittance, mm -hmm. right? That Jesus had hard moments. Yep. Remember in the garden where he says to his disciples, stay with me mm -hmm. and watch and pray. And then what do they do? They fall asleep. Yep. Why was that hard for Jesus? He's God, but he's God, man. Mm. And, and mortals, uh, he, you know, Jesus is more than mortal. But but humans need people. Yes. Um, one thing I want to I want to bring up about kind of that question about Jesus walking. Then we'll come back to the doubt question. Is um, one of the reasons I think that Jesus had an ordinary young life. Ordinary meaning he had to learn grammar. Mm -hmm. yeah. He had to learn the Torah. Yeah, I'm assuming. Yep. Right, He learned obedience to his parents. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the reasons we know that that happened and that he didn't just come out of the womb with, you know, full ability to run a marathon. Um, one of the reasons to know that is the villagers around him were surprised when he started to do the work of his ministry. Yes. They're like, what? But isn't this the carpenter's son? Yep. Isn't this the son of Mary? I played with this guy in the playground when I was a kid. Yeah, I saw him pick his nose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what? Yep. Um, you know, we we I think if he had shown all along the signs of being uh only superhuman, I don't think they would have been surprised. Yeah. I think they would have been like, finally, he's meeting his potential, he's doing his thing, he's ready to go. But I think before that, I mean, if you go back to Isaiah 53, right? Yep. Jesus appeared to the people around him as ordinary. Yes. Maybe even the wrong guy for being Messiah. Yes. And I think that's because he, that doesn't mean that he didn't have godness in his young life, but it does mean that he had the same human experiences. And that's what Hebrew says. He has, he had the same experience, human experiences we had except he didn't sin. Exactly. We're not, by the way, we're, we're sitting here talking about this just to be crystal clear to anybody listening. You and I are tried and true 
bleeding out. Jesus is divine. Jesus yeah. is God. Yeah. Jesus is the only, he is the through whom only we can know God, right? He is the only way right. to the father. You and I would sit here and say that, that he is divine. Nobody here is saying in his humanity, he stopped being divine. We're saying that he was both at the same moment. And even to the argument of divinity, I think it was Esau Macaulay who last week uh, uh, posted a tweet where he said, one of the greatest arguments for the divinity of Jesus was that his brother James worshiped him. Yeah. Right. You have this, right, this <laughs> nobody was going to worship their brother. For right, right, right. So you, you and I, you and I, we hold on to this idea that Jesus is fully divine. This is not the first time in the history of the church where this question's played itself out, is it? No. Um, you know, in those early centuries of Christianity, third, fourth century, um, all these heresies emerged. And what they tended to do is take one aspect of the Gospels or of Jesus and to take it to an extreme. Right. So one extreme would be Jesus was only human and just appeared to be divine or he was adopted by God or something. But then another heresy, which I can see being really popular, is called docetism. Yep. Docetism is this uh, you know, heretical doctrine that Jesus only seemed to be human. He wasn't actually human. Right. From the Greek word dikeo, he yep. seemed, Appear. he appeared. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think that comes from this idea that it's too much to believe that Jesus was human like you and me. Yep. It's too much to think that God could actually fuse human and divine into the same person. That seems impossible. It seems risky. And because we can't imagine it, maybe we think that it didn't happen. And so there are these you know, ideas out there. And, and that's because in the Greco-Roman world, you had lots of stories of the gods coming to earth in human disguise. Right. And they weren't really, they weren't really humans. It's kind of like, you know, those kind of fairy tales where kind of a witch right. transforms right. into, you know, and there's all these, you know, discussions in the early church about um, exactly how human was Jesus. And, and the early church rejected any notion that he, Jesus only appeared human. Yep. He was fully human. And that's, and AJ, I remember one of my friends telling me often our weaknesses are actually our strengths taken to an extreme. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think heresies are theological weaknesses because they only take this myopic view and take it to an extreme. Yes. And I feel like when we say Jesus couldn't have ever doubted, I think that we're saying Jesus didn't have a human brain. He only had a God brain inside of a human body. Mm, right. And I would love to believe that. I would love if that were true because then Jesus isn't like me in some ways that I'm weak. But what's interesting is second Corinthians, I think says he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. Mm. And you could say he had a weak body because he was human. That's fine. But I think Paul is also picking up on this idea that um, in the garden, Jesus had this crisis. Yes. I mean, why is he sweating drops of blood? Why is he upset with his own disciples? I mean, he's the teacher. Yes. Why is he upset with his own disciples? That brings us back to the question of what is doubt. I'll say a word on this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let me be crystal clear for anyone listening, for AJ2 here. Doubt by itself is not sin. Absolutely. Um, now, 
you know, when AJ and I were talking about this uh, a little bit earlier today, just the two of us, I made the analogy with anger. Anger is an emotion we often treat as something bad, mm-hmm. right? James says, human anger does not create the righteous life God desires. But it's talking about sinful anger. Yes, a certain kind of anger. That's right. We know that good anger is possible. Uh, it's emotional expression. It happens. Uh, it can actually tell us about something right, that we're feeling a sense of injustice. So anger, even though we generally speaking see anger as a bad thing, it's not always a bad thing. Yep. And I would like to say, and maybe you could help me reflect on this, AJ, I'd like to say that's true for doubt as well. Yes. I want to say, and AJ said this in the article, and I think he said it really well, there are definitely bad forms of doubt. Absolutely. There are, there's cynicism, there is disbelief, faithlessness. Those are things that lead away from God. I think that can be bad. But I think part of being human for me, and I see this in my marriage with my wife, is I have weak moments. I have moments of temptation. I have moments of wondering, should I do this or should I do that? Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it seems natural. And I think there is a, a line that you cross from, from minor doubt or hesitation yep. to disbelief. Yes, 100%. And we would say, Jesus doesn't cross that line. That's part of doubting faithfully. We say that in the article, Doubt Faithfully. I think Jesus doesn't cross that line. I think that's a part of orthodoxy. But to say that Jesus, it was impossible for Jesus to doubt, I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the Gospels. Yep. You could skip the entire life of Jesus and just go straight to dying on a cross. Yep. If all Jesus needed to do was to die to save our sins, I don't know why he would have to do that. But if all that was he had to do, he could have done that. And that's it. He could have just, you know, somehow came out of the womb as a 30-year-old, died on a cross, you know, wiped his hands of it. It, it. What we're really getting at here is, do we actually believe the New Testament's witness yeah. that Jesus actually suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did he actually desire to not want to die on the cross? Right. And I, I suspect actually some of us think, we have sort of this latent theology that would say, Jesus, Jesus didn't really want to not die on the cross. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, you think about it. Jesus asks the Father, can you please take this cup from me? And he prays this to the Father. And here's the interesting thing. Did Jesus's prayer get answered? Yeah. And of course, a lot of people are going to say, no, his prayer wasn't answered. But that's, a, that's an American answer. Because for Americans, we only, con- we only consider a prayer answered as long as we get what we want. Right. His prayer was answered, and the yeah. answer was no. Yeah. The Father said, no, you're going to die on the cross. I mean, the fact of the matter is, had Jesus' prayer been answered by the Father, we would still be in our sin. Mm-hmm. The world is saved through Jesus' prayer not going the way he asked. He, I think, wholeheartedly wanted to not have to die on the cross. And yet, despite that emotion, he still did. That I love this phrase. I think you've coined it. Hashtag Nijay Gupta. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, um, hashtag uh, doubt faithfully. Mm-hmm. Like in your doubt, you still walk forward. 
Right. So this anger thing, you bring up a really interesting question about anger, right? So, so we assume anger is bad, and there are clear depictions in the New Testament that anger can be bad. Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the person given to anger is in danger of the fires of hell. No, no question, he says this stuff. Right. Yet, <laughs> we have a very clear depiction of Jesus turning tables over in, in, in the temple. We have imprecatory psalms. Right. We have a whole section of the psalms that are essentially rage psalms of anger. God. Kill my enemies. God, I'm mad. I'm ticked. I'm pissed. God, fix us all. And so if we take one text about anger and refuse to read the whole biblical text, and you and I are committed to the whole Bible, Mm -hmm. it's actually a bit more complex than just saying anger is sin. Right. And the same is true with doubt. We have clear sections, for example, in James, where James makes this case that the doubting person is double-hearted, double-minded, and will not receive the things that they ask for. There are clear elements and clear trajectories of doubt that can be dangerous. Yes. Yet, <laughs> Psalm 22, when David writes the psalm, or attributed to David at least, when, when the Davidic psalm of, 20, uh, of Psalm 22 is written, and he pens, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Goes through the psalm, calls himself a worm. I'm set, uh, surrounded by the cows of Bashan. Everybody wants me to kill me. When he wrote that, did he or did he not mean it? Yeah. And I think what you and I are trying to say is he actually meant it. He actually wanted to know where God was. He is really struggling to believe. And yet, through it, still believes. Well, some, you know, I'm glad you brought up Psalm 22 because um, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I feel like an easy answer to that is, oh, well, he's thinking ahead to the end of the psalm where he still trusts in God. But Jesus doesn't say that. He only quotes one. one he one only verse, quotes yeah. the, the excruciating, literally excruciating line from that. I think, and, and it appears in more than one gospel, which means it really resonated with the early church. And uh, I think because he was, you know, as the kids say, feeling all the feels. <laughs> uh, one question to ask AJ about the gospels is, how does Jesus save us? Does Jesus save us? Let's say we're in a pit and he wants to get us out. Does he save us by standing on you know, the ground up above us and reaching down and pulling us out? No, he could have done that, but he didn't. He saves us by climbing into the pit with us. Yes. Right? And, and taking us out with him. Yes. And I think the gospels, when you think about all the things that happen in the gospels, like the temptation narrative. Why even have that narrative if it was impossible for Jesus to struggle with anything? And and when we ask what is doubt, I think it's that question of struggling, right? Why did Jesus have to go out and pray for who his disciples would be? He's God. Doesn't he already know? Right? Um, Why is he so upset about Judas? He knew that all along, right? Well, I think this idea of what the gospels are all about is not just saving us in the, hey, here's the ticket to heaven, but teaching us how to be, how to be human in the ways that God has always intended. Yes. But he does that by modeling it for us. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite texts in the New Testament, it says, um, have this mindset within you that was in Christ Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That means it, it, in order for us to be able to imitate his mindset of humility, of obedience no matter what. He had to have a mind like us 
Clearly, he had a mind that was greater than ours. But how could we imitate his mindset unless he had the same kinds of challenges yep. that we have in terms of there are two doors to walk through, the easy way and the hard way, right? Yep. And, and I, I think that the New Testament throughout points out Jesus had real choices. And when I say he doubted, it means he struggled with the choice. And then he chose the right thing. One of my favorite TV shows, I'm going to give you an 80s throwback here. <laughs> One of my favorite TV shows from my childhood is called Quantum Leap. Classic. And so this is about time travel where these people in the future, it's probably 2020, but these people in the future have found a way to go back in time and fix different bad things that happened in the past. So they send this guy. Do you remember that? Did you ever watch the oh, show? Yeah, Quantum classic. They no, sent no, this yeah, guy course. into the past. And he appears in the, in the body of some person in the past to try to fix the situation. And one of the taglines from that show is to make right what once went wrong. Mm. And I use that as an analogy to talk about the Gospels because Jesus's story mirrors the story of Israel, the temptation, the feeding of the multitudes. So many of the pieces there fit the Gospels, fit the Old Testament. I think Jesus does that to go back to Israel's story and make right all the, t- the turns that they made wrong. But he doesn't do that only as God. He does that as God-man. Mm. And I think that's what, that's what we really struggle with. How could he have really been both God and man, yep. divine and human? And, and here's the irony. When you actually embrace, let's say, for example, Jesus did struggle to make the choice to, to be on the cross. Jesus did struggle with understanding where the Father was in that moment in his life. If that is true, it actually accentuates and underlines and highlights even more the suffering of Christ for humanity. Like if you remove those emotional turmoil aspects, his suffering is actually lessened. Yeah. The irony, you and I are actually arguing that Jesus suffered more than we have ever thought. Yeah. Isn't that ironic? And and getting in in a lot of ways, you and I have talked about this in the last uh, in the last 24 hours observing what happens when you claim Jesus suffered in this kind of way causes people to um, somehow deem your faith unfit. Um, the, the H word's been thrown around a few times, heretics, heresy, <laughs> these, these sorts of words. But just as a simple observation, that is the kind of response and theological system that causes people to run away from Christianity. Yeah. And the irony is that in arguing that Jesus no way, shape, or form could have walked through these emotional struggles or doubts is actually creating a generation of people that embrace the dark side of doubt. So if we don't make room for Jesus um, struggling in these ways, uh, I don't know how we follow him. I mean, it, it, it becomes the pathway for just about anybody listening to this who has legitimate questions. Well, and, and that raised the question of discipleship. Discipleship is all about following, right? And we have to follow somebody that is like us enough that they can lead us through yeah. the hard stuff. Yeah. If they've never, it's like me trying to tell a woman, hey, having a baby's easy. You just push it out, right? It makes no sense because I've never been through it. Yes. Right? I don't have anything to say about that. I could give you some medical advice, but I'm not a medical doctor. Sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the apocryphal gospels because the, I feel like yes. when people's reaction is Jesus never doubted, Jesus never struggled, 
he almost has an alien or robotic quality yes. to him where he's play acting, which is why the article that we wrote is called He's God Man, Not God Superman, because Superman looks human, but wasn't human or isn't yes. human. And uh, there's a great article I read a handful of years ago. I sent it to AJ because I thought he'd get a kick out of it. And it's basically comparing the second and third and fourth century apocryphal gospels, gospels written by people later on that tried to fill in and, and reinterpret Jesus. These were rejected by the church. It was comparing those to the Star Wars prequels, episode one, two, three. Which are the worst. Which are the worst. The absolute worst. And there's this uh, article writer, I think, Bob, I'm going to mess your name up, Bob. Sorry, Smitana. I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, Bob did a great job in this article. He basically said, the apocryphal gospels can be compared to these prequels because those Star Wars prequels, the, what they get wrong is they just infuse the store, the wonderful story of Star Wars with all of the CGI, all of this fake perfection. Yes. And they take away that grittiness yep. that was so palpable. Where and, you can see literally the Ewok costumes a little bit, right? Yeah, it's like this, right. this rough and sort of unfinished. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the original Star Wars, you know, from my childhood, um, you know, it, it it had this balance. It had this character, this texture, and all of that was airbrushed. Yes. By the kind of superficial um, CGI vanity of those prequels, and in many ways, that's what the apocryphal gospels did. They they couldn't imagine a human Jesus. So many of them created all these miracles in his childhood and they took out things that looked human. And I feel like in some ways we are doing that when we say, Oh, Jesus couldn't have struggled with anything. Oh, what he did in the article was fake. What he did, what, sorry, what he did in the garden was play acting. Yes. What he said on the cross was um, just saying it for our sake. Uh, AJ, are we reading that into it? I mean, I want to be able to just say, uh, 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 you know, for reading the text, it says Jesus had a hard time. Absolutely. <laughs> Not just suffering. I think we want to just label suffering as this one thing that's physical. But I would use the word anguish. Yeah. He, was in the angu- he was in anguish in the garden. Uh, let me ask you this question. If you're going to go through something hard, And you know that right after it's going to be great and perfect and going to make everything better. Um, Wouldn't it be easy for you? Like if you had a shot, if you're going to get a shot in your arm, you knew you would have no side effects, no problems. It was going to be perfect. 100%. You wouldn't really have anguish then. You would just say, let's get this over with. Yeah. If I know the good is coming uh, and and the sweet ending is is ahead, I don't sweat blood. Sweating blood seems to me to indicate actual emotional anguish. Jesus 100%. knew something. Jesus knew that, you know, about the resurrection, but but he still went through what we think of as the dark night of the soul in terms yeah. of having, yeah. why was that night so hard for him, yeah. I guess is yeah. what I'm asking. Yeah. Even I, I remember years ago uh, listening to, it's just a, cl- a classic Tim Keller sermon. And he, um, he talks about the Lazarus story and the, you know, the, the scandal that Jesus weeps. Yeah. And there's this weird interpretation some people have that Jesus weeps because he sees the unbelief of the people around him. Yeah. But he's not weeping because he sees the unbelief. He's weeping because his friend has died. And yet, Jesus knows Lazarus will rise. Yeah. And Timothy, Tim Keller has this whole thing where he says, isn't it powerful that even though he may have known, he still weeps. Yeah. 
to just because we know the future is beautiful, that does not deny or cause us to mute real human suffering in the now. You and I both know in the resurrected. You and I both long for the day when we're a new creation with heaven and earth. They've come together and we're in the new Jerusalem and we don't have the need for the sun anymore. And there's there's food and animal. We long for that. We know that's here. Yeah. But from time to time, we still sweat blood. Not in the same way Jesus did. Here's the thing. Just because we know the end does not mean we don't have permission to actually feel what we're experiencing now. Right. Jesus modeled that. He knew what was going to happen to Lazarus and yet weeps. Yeah. Um, I was sharing with AJ earlier today that um, one case study I use with my students is comparing the Gospels to the book of Tobit, which is a Jewish um, you know, fictional narrative that uh, is about this Jewish man going on this journey and a, an angel is sent to accompany him in disguise. And the angel helps him out, you know, kind of secretly. And at the very end of the story, this angel reveals himself as an angel and kind of does the Scooby-Doo kind of surprise, I'm an angel, you know, kind of reveal. And what's funny, if you read the book of Tobit, is the angel explains to Tobias that, um, hey, all those times that you saw me eating, uh, I wasn't actually eating. I was pretending because I'm an angel and angels don't eat. Hmm. And so there's this kind of narrative, uh, narrator kind of oriented um, clarification yeah. that divine beings don't, don't have human needs yep. and human problems. Yep. And you compare that to the gospels and then you have a Jesus who says to the woman at the well, can you get me a drink? Now, the funny thing about that story is he never gets his drink, mm -hmm. but uh, then on the cross, he says, I thirst, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and we should see the difference between Tobit and the gospels with what a divine being in disguise acts like and what this strange new kind of person, yes. Jesus, yes. does that defies categorization. I guess that's what I'm saying, AJ. Yes. Jesus defies categorization. So then to say, Jesus can't, Jesus can't. The one thing the Bible says clearly, Christian Orthodox says clearly is Jesus can't sin. Yep, 100%. 100%. Jesus can't sin. But to say he never struggled with decisions would be to say, why did he have those moments of long prayer? Why did he have to pray all night? Yeah. Right? This would have been easy for someone in disguise. The angel from Tobit, he wouldn't have to spend a whole night praying. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And and um, so this, I think well, partly what we're saying is docetism isn't a problem of the of the ancient past. It's here. It's alive. It's well. It's among us. And I suspect, Nijay, that um, more and more and more, uh, these, these kinds of conversations about the humanity of Jesus will prod at sort of our, um, our assumptions. And they should, in the same way that orthodoxy rubbed people wrong in the first century, it should rub us wrong in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, but what we can't do, and you and I are unapologetic about, uh, is that we will not worship uh, a Jesus who is only divine. That's a false Jesus. Yeah. He has to be human too. And he is. Today, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he sits there and he is praying for us. Name one other religion where God prays to God on our behalf. And we are both on this Holy Week. So thankful for that, God. Um, but you and I are committed to embracing the full divinity and humanity of Jesus. And they can't be separated. We don't have permission.
And I love, just to end uh, in a bit, I love how you, you kind of added this to the article that um, I want to follow someone that struggles and, and succeeds mm -hmm. because I struggle. And that is one of the biggest attraction to Christianity. I mean, for the perfect God that never had any problems to say, hey, clean up your act. Yeah. Um, that's different. That's a whole different thing. And to say, uh, for Jesus to say, hey, this is going to be hard for me. This was hard for me too. Yeah. But I'm going to take your hand and we're going to make it through to the other side. Yeah. Um, that's a beautiful thing. I don't 100%. want to give up. I don't want to give that up, AJ. Well, there, there's, I'll close with this if that's all right. There's a, years ago, I came across this um, Orthodox theologian. I, I don't actually remember who it was, but he, he had pointed out that one of the marks in, in Orthodox, and I'm talking Eastern Orthodox traditions, one of the distinctive marks of, of belief of Jesus in, in the Orthodox tradition is that he still has his scars. Yeah that the scars of Jesus are still on his resurrected body to this day, that he is at the right hand of the father with the scar. Mm -hmm. And that when we see him face to face, that the one way we will know it is him is that the scars will still be there. And he, in this particular book says, um, only a God with scars can be trusted. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, to worship, you know, John says that he will wipe the tears from our eyes. We will see that scar very close. Yeah. It will be up in our face. We will see it. And we will know it is him because only someone who can endure what he actually endured can be worshiped. Nijay, it's been a joy being with you today. And we're going to keep going in our next episode. We're going to keep talking about, I think we're talking about the Bible next. Yeah. I'm super <laughs> jazzed, but good conversation today. Yeah, Nijay. this was awesome.